0: Welcome to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderall. This podcast is designed to bring real and raw conversations about spirituality into the forefront of living our yoga off the mat and in our businesses. Topics covered include insights into the yoga industry, teaching, wellness, Ayurveda, meditation, and entrepreneurship. Basically, all the topics we're interested in. Thanks for joining me. Now tune in and turn it up. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderell, and I'm just super happy you're here with me today. And today's topic is something that I love to talk about and I think is often misunderstood, and... I just wanted to flush it out a little bit. So today we're talking about karma and what is karma? What does karma mean? And how do we work with karma in our own life? And this is... A really big topic and it can be very nuanced and sometimes difficult to understand. So I'm going to take it slow and, and try and just break down some of these concepts in a way that makes sense for us as modern yogis, as householders, and hopefully it's of interest to you if you're listening to this podcast. So it's pretty funny because I was planning to record this podcast yesterday and I was really excited. I was jazzed up. I was like feeling feeling the groove of getting the podcast episode going and I had just like one of those days where it seemed like it's just a comedy of errors where every little thing that could go wrong went wrong and I ended up um, one of the things that I like to do to help me get in the creative space is to clean. I feel I'm not a, I wouldn't say that I'm an obsessive cleaner, definitely not. But when I have a big project or I have something that I'm, that's really on my mind, the way that I kind of organize my thoughts and get in the space of, of being focused is by cleaning. So yesterday I was on this big kick. I was cleaning my house. I was doing the, the baseboards and the dusting and the, you know, getting on the tops of all the the fridge and all the places that we often forget about. And I enjoy doing that, which is kind of funny, but it's kind of a meditation. It's sort of like you feel good taking care of your space in a way that isn't just the, the vacuuming and the wiping down the counters and... And also, because I've been in this bubble of writing my book and finishing my manuscript and I was under deadline to get that to my publisher, um, I will admit that some of my housekeeping was put on hold for a few weeks. And so it was just this day to clean and then I was going to record this podcast episode and I was psyched. I was like in this really good mood. And then this freak accident happened, which, you know, you just kind of have to laugh. I was cleaning the toilets and nobody's favorite job, but I don't mind it so much. And in our house, we try to use as many natural cleaning supplies as possible. And and usually everything's pretty non-toxic and minimal and not very dangerous, except I do use some form of bleach when cleaning our toilets, just because it does get it cleaner. And I like that, but that's, that's the only main chemical that we really use. And so I was cleaning the toilet bowls, and a little drop of bleach flicked off the brush into my eyeball. <laughs> yep, that happened. And of course, I freaked out. I could feel it. And I'm reading the back of the bottle. And it says, flush your eye, then go see a doctor. And, and it turned into this whole thing. Of course, I'm getting on Google. What do I do? And flushed my eye for 10, 15 minutes with water. Then I had saline solution, which... Um just as a as a little tidbit, it's always a good idea to have some kind of saline solution in your medicine cabinet in case of emergencies. It's great if you have, especially if you have small kids, but um if you have any cuts or scrapes or you fall and you get dirt or rocks in your in your leg or your arm, you can use the saline solution to flush it out. And it's also really great in the event that you get something in your eye or a chemical in your eye. So then I laid down and I was flushing my eye with 30 milliliters of saline for like half an hour. Called the doctor. They were like, come right in. And so then I was in the doctor for several hours and did another big eye flush and then a pH test to make sure that there weren't any chemical burns. And whole long story. I was like, oh my God, of course. I'm the weirdo who gets bleach in their eye cleaning toilets. And so that happened, and I came home, and my day was shot. It was time to to pick up my son from Barnahog and get dinner going. And I had planned the super amazing dinner I was going to cook. And so I'm cooking, chopping up the spinach. And we have very sharp knives, because my husband and I like to cook a lot. And and of course, I slice off the whole top of my finger, and including the nail on the side. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was bleeding bad, and... Oh, it's really painful. I don't I don't think I need stitches, but you know, who knows. Anyways, that was my day. I was like, oh, so funny that this is happening on the day that I was going to record an episode about karma. Because so many people misunderstand karma and what they think it is. And and there's this idea that karma is. A direct and immediate result to an action. Like, oh, I did something wrong in the morning and then I got bleach in my eye in the afternoon. And that is not the case at all. That's not really how karma works. And so I think it's great to kind of break this down a little bit, talk about it, and hopefully find a little bit of clarity around this concept that is central to yoga philosophy and really karma and dharma are the are the key pieces to understanding our human experience through the lens of spiritual inquiry and making sense of how do the things that happen in my life, how do they relate back to a greater purpose or a bigger meaning? And so when we're talking about karma— The first thing that's important to understand is that we're immediately talking about reincarnation. And we're talking about the idea that our physical body, our physical self with the small s, Jessica in this case, is temporary. And I like to joke that it's just our our temporary meat suit. And then when we die, when this expression of our physical existence has completed its journey, um, we the, the human organism passes away and then the soul continues on into its next evolution and its next life. And in yoga philosophy, you know, we believe that we have many, many lifetimes. And our soul, our Atman, the self with the big ass, is what carries our karmic baggage. It, it's what carries the lessons and experiences from each lifetime into the next. And so there's this very wide lens of understanding. And this can be very sort of hard to wrap your mind around if this is new to you or if you're used to kind of the Western philosophy or Western religions where, you know, all we get is this one shot. And then you pass away and you are in many traditions, you know, reunited with loved ones or you go to heaven. And, And yoga philosophy takes a different approach, that that's not what happens when we die. And I can say for myself that as my yoga studies have progressed through the years and my understanding of karma has become deeper and more rich, I have found it to be deeply comforting. And I really connect with this idea of reincarnation and this idea that we're all just energy, and we're energy taking different forms at different times, and there's this constant transmission of energy through our physical body, from our energetic body, from our soul, and it's just this ebb and flow through time. And as humans, you know, our brain, even though it's magnificent and can do so many awesome things, you know, they say that the average human uses only about 10% of their full brain capacity. And that's just like baffling to me because it's like, OK, well, what's happening in the other 90% of our brain potential? And yoga philosophy would say, well, that other 90% is where we find mind control. And this is through the process of meditation that we become so attuned to mind over matter that eventually, if your meditation practice was strong enough, you would get these um, superpowers, yogic superpowers. And this is what's explained in book three of the Yoga Sutras by Patanjali. And these are the things like being able to levitate, being able to walk through walls, being able to have supersonic hearing. And at first, you know, this is like kind of shocking where you're like, "Ah, okay, that's crazy. I don't know about that. But yoga philosophy very much teaches this and believes in this. And I always come back to the idea of, well, why not? There is so much that we don't know. And when our teeny tiny human brain tries to, or uh, rather allows the ego to take control and say, oh, I'm so smart, I'm evolved, I'm a human, I'm at the top of the the pyramid, like the food chain, then all of a sudden when the ego takes over, we have lost potential for magic, for this thing that's so much bigger than us. And that is our connection to the source energy, our connection to the divine. And this is sort of the context through which we look at karma is the idea that what happens in this life has an impact, of course, but We are trying to disengage our ego, where we're so, so attached to this expression of our humanity, the self with the small s, that we are no longer able to open our minds to consider some other alternative, some other way of viewing our experience. And so if you're feeling kind of like, okay, where's this podcast episode going? This is getting a little weird. Please just stay with me and uh, be willing to perhaps consider a different viewpoint or a different perspective. And again, what I'm talking about is really coming from the teachings of yoga philosophy and the idea that we are wanting to understand our life and make sense of our habits, our thoughts, our behaviors, so that ultimately, perhaps, we can start shifting some of our behaviors. and move into a space that allows us to live with more grace and more ease and more peace. And that's been my experience for sure, when I was able to understand the concepts of karma and integrate them into my life. And so, you know, like I've said, a lot of people, they think karma is sort of this immediate thing. Like, you know, we have, there's so many sayings about karma in our modern culture, like, oh, karma's a bitch, or, oh, I hope karma gets them. Or there's even, like in the U.S., there's a bunch of silly bumper stickers about karma. My karma ate your dogma or ran over your dogma. and I don't know. It's pretty funny. But when we have a true understanding of the true teaching of of karma, I think it actually can make a lot of sense. And it helps us sort of understand, perhaps, why bad things happen to good people or why good things happen to bad people. And... Most importantly, I think it can help us navigate the challenges that we might have in our life and also gives us sort of this framework to view our choices in our life when we look at it through the idea of karma and the exchange of energy. So karma itself, the word karma, really just means action. And a lot of karmic activity is a reaction to a previous action. So by itself it's neutral it's not bad karma it's not good karma it's just is it's karma and physicists will say the same thing and people who are studying quantum physics will say the same thing everything is just a transfer of energy and vibration and frequency so when energy gets displaced from one one spot one place it has to land somewhere else And that's what's happening with karma. There's an action, a thought, a behavior that displaces or disrupts energy. And that energy then has to find a new spot to express itself. So karma is just neutral. And when we think about karma too, it's this idea of like the chicken and the egg, the age-old question, what came first? And yoga philosophy does say that, that they're not really sure where karma started, because if karma is an energetic action, then it had to have a starting point at some time in order to create this chain reaction of the movement of karma, the movement of energy. And we don't know what the starting point of karma was. It just is. So whether something happened to start karma or karma started because of something else, we don't know. But we do know that there's something called the karma karmasaya. And this is what's called the womb of karma. This is sort of where karma, it originated, and it's kind of where it's it, it can be held in. And there's three kinds of karma. So this is where it gets interesting. So again, remember, we're talking about reincarnation. We're talking about things that happen throughout various lifetimes. So the first type of karma that we can experience is something that happened in a previous life that gets expressed in this life. The second kind of karma is something that happens in this life and gets expressed in this life. And then the third kind of karma is something that happens in this life and gets expressed in a future life. So remember, our karma is sort of attached to our Atman, the self with the big ass, the soul. And as we are going through each lifetime... Having different lessons, having different experiences. The goal is ultimately to have less and less karma. So, the way that we have less karma is by engaging in actions and thoughts that are harmonious, that are joyful, and that are positive. So things that are positive in our own life, taking care of our body, practicing Ayurveda, eating well, having nurturing routines in our life, resting, meditating, having clean spaces, having clean minds, really living sattvically. And sattva is the highest, I don't, ver, no, version's not the right word. Um, of the three gunas, we have tamas, which is Heavy. We have rajas, which is movement, and we have sattva, which is peace. And all of the practices of yoga and Ayurveda are designed to get us to the space of sattva or sattvic living. And the more that we are in a sattvic relationship to ourselves, to others, to nature, then the less amount of karma we are creating. So the belief is that when we are doing good for ourselves and we're doing good for other people and our communities at large, that's going to minimize the amount of karmic residue that we are carrying through both in this lifetime and in future lifetimes. And eventually, after many, many, many lifetimes of practicing yoga and meditation and refining, 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 you'll have so little karma left to play out that in fact, you'll get into a lifetime where all that's left are these karmic impressions from previous lives. And now you're getting really close to enlightenment. <laughs> and then eventually, through even more rigorous practices of meditation and sattvic living, you will get to the place where you are no longer reborn. So, this is ultimately, you know, in a very quick explanation, this is ultimately the goal of yoga and meditation is to be reabsorbed back into the cosmic energy. And the way in which that happens is ultimately to no longer have karma or any sort of karmic residue that has to be expressed. And at that point, you're done. You're off the Ferris wheel. You are back in a place of pure bliss and joy and love, and and you're done. So. We can give kind of a similar example. I mean, it's not quite yoga, but a lot of people might understand this. When we're talking about, say, like the Dalai Lama in Tibet, he, he has said that after he passes away and he leaves this physical form of his current body, he will not be returning to earth. How does he know this? Well, using the explanation of yoga and karma, he has burned through all of his karma, and there's nothing left to tie him to the physical realm. So karmic bonds are what tie us to the physical expression of our humanity. And if there are no longer any karmic bonds, then we're no longer, there's no reason for us to take human form. We're we're done. We've, we're, we've accomplished the goal, if we even wanted to say there was a goal. Because for most of us, <laughs> we are so far away from this um, occurrence that it's not even really, in my opinion, is something that we need to worry about or or really think about. It's great to know what the end goal would be, but I don't think there's really a substantial impact on that in our lives today. Um, speaking for myself, I'm a householder. Yes, I practice yoga and meditation and Ayurveda and try to have as sattvic of a life as possible, but I am still a messy work in progress, <laughs> and there is a lot more for me to. Mm, work on, I guess. And so I don't get too caught up in thinking what's going to happen many, many, many lifetimes down the road. I've got enough to deal with today and just trying to put one foot in front of the other and show up with integrity and compassion to the best of my ability. And, and that's enough. That's enough. That's, that's all I need to worry about right now. So when we're thinking about karma and the three types of karma, and we don't know. When something happens in this life, is it a result of something we did in a previous life? Is it the result of something that happened in this life? Or is the event that happens in this life the starting point for the karma that will play out in a future life? There's no way to know. So all we can work on then is, again, trying to approach each and every day of our life with mindfulness with kindness, with compassion, and always asking the question, how can I be of service? So when we are in service to others, it's very difficult to be in that space of ego. It's very difficult to be worrying only about your own life and your own comfort and and the things that are important to you. Now, of course, this is a spectrum. We are householders, and we are going to worry about paying our bills, and we're going to worry about keeping our kids safe and And worrying about, you know, or not worrying about, but thinking about the gift we want for our birthday. That's all fine. That's normal. That's exactly where we're supposed to be. But we would want to try and bring in as much self-awareness as possible in each day. And this will hopefully give us this sense of stability and grounding in our life, even as it's ebbing and flowing, even as we experience the natural ups and downs of a human existence. And I think about this a lot, this idea that each and every person has a struggle. And there is nobody in human form that isn't experiencing some type of challenge or issue in their life. And they can—they look very, very different, the types of things that people experience. It can be health concerns. It can be financial concerns. It can be family concerns. And each and every one of us has something that has been or will be painful in our life. And there's no way to get away from that. It just is. And when I get caught up in my own mind and my own drama and like, "Oh my God, this is so heavy, why is this happening to me," I immediately try to counterbalance that by asking myself, in a very loving way, "Why do I think I'm so special that I would be exempt from these type of experiences?" I'm not special. None of us are. And for me, that can be helpful to kind of snap myself out when I'm I'm getting into the pity party or the victim mentality. Like, oh my god, why is this always happening? And I reframe it. I'm like, okay, you know what? Each and every person I meet, each and every person I know, each and every stranger I see on the subway has something heavy in their life. And that connects us to each other. That allows us to see each other hopefully, and meet each other, hopefully, with a bit more kindness. And when we do that, when that's our goal, like our day-to-day goal, that's what's going to help us eradicate some of the karma that we're carrying, some of the karma baggage, karmic baggage that we are holding on to. And that I can get on board with. Like that, Okay, I'm not going to worry about enlightenment and being reabsorbed back into the cosmic consciousness. I'm going to worry about Today. And I'm going to worry about, how can I show up, to the best of my ability, with the best version of myself? How can I give people the benefit of the doubt? How can I try and see the humans in front of me, rather than just having blinders on and and focusing on what my ego wants and, and what my ego says is important? And I think this can be a beautiful practice. You know, Some days are easier than others. Some days, you're just like, nope that's not happening. I'm in full ego. I am having the pity party. I am diving into my victimhood. And then other days we're like, okay, you know what? Maybe it's not so bad. Or if it is that bad, you know what? Maybe there's a way I can respond to this challenge, this pain in my life with just the tiniest bit of grace, the tiniest bit of ease. And I think that this is where that idea of having some comfort from the practice and the spiritual teachings comes from. We don't know why these bad things happen in our life. But if we are following yoga and we believe in what yoga is teaching, then we can also believe that there is some lesson to be learned in it. And I want to be very careful here when I'm talking about lessons that we need to learn or experiences that we need to have, because I don't want to spiritually bypass And water down or focus only on the positive parts of yoga philosophy because that's very dangerous. And spiritual abuse takes advantage of this by, you know, light and love and only good things. And that's not true. The human existence embodies the full range of emotions that we as humans are capable of. So many different emotions, so many different ways to view our world and our experience. And so, we can't just live in the light. We actually have to integrate with our shadow self also. And that can be very scary to start dipping a toe into examining the parts of ourselves, parts of our being that maybe we don't want to look at, that maybe we're shamed of, or we have guilt around, or make us uncomfortable. And each and every one of us has those, those tender spots that just even acknowledging can feel really confronting and provoking. And yet, this is the point of a spiritual practice. When we're able to open that door a little bit and kind of shine the flashlight into the dark corners of who we are, the self with the small s, and our, our patterns, our thoughts, our behaviors, then we start to integrate. And when we begin to fully integrate our being, This is when we start to make progress. And I'm speaking about progress on deep self-acceptance, deep self-forgiveness. And these become the bedrock for then the rest of our spiritual practice. Because it's very, very hard to offer compassion to another person if you yourself cannot give yourself compassion. If you yourself can't be like, you know what? I'm going through a rough patch. I'm going to cut myself a little slack and and sit with my pain, sit with the heaviness, and let that be enough. And then when we have passed through whatever it is that we need to experience, then we get to the other side where it's easier for us to meet other humans who are suffering and to see their suffering, like truly see it, and, and be able to hold space for other people. And that's a huge part of why it's so important that we're in a community when we're practicing yoga and when we're diving into these concepts related to spiritual inquiry. Because we all just become a mirror for each other. And when we are rooted in the practice and we're willing to do the work, the hard work, of sitting with our discomfort, the realities of who we are beyond just the light self, then we start to make real connections with other people. And we start to see ourselves in other people. And other people see themselves in us. And this is is the truth of the teachings. So I just wanted to talk about that for a minute, because spiritual bypassing can be so dangerous. And, And if we're talking about the topic of karma, which is so fundamental and so important to understanding who we are through the lens of of spiritual inquiry, then we have to acknowledge what spiritual bypassing is and also um, affirm that that's not how we want to approach our practice. We don't want to just skip over the hard parts and get to the good stuff because that's not sustainable. It's not a true practice. And we're going to never make progress on the spiritual path if we only do that. So... So when we're thinking about these difficult or challenging things happening to us in our life, and we're like, oh, gosh, okay, did I do something really bad in a past life? Did I do something really bad in this life? Like, why am I experiencing so much suffering? It's hard to say, because that's not it's not a one-for-one transfer. It's not like, oh, I did one bad thing, so one bad thing happened. I did one good thing, so one good thing happened. That's not quite how it works, because Again, karma itself does not identify as good or bad, as positive or negative. It simply is. And so we, our human mind, puts that identification on something. Oh, God, this is such a bad experience. Or, oh, wow, this is such an amazing experience. Because that helps us sort through our emotions when we can put an identification on something that we experience. And karma doesn't really care actually but when something bad happens in our lives difficult painful upsetting traumatizing we strive to the best of our ability to of course process to do whatever we need to do if that's seeking therapy if that's you know whatever we need to do to try and move forward on the human plane but we also want to Notice how we can show ourselves this compassion and this forgiveness and making sense of what's happened because how we respond to these events in our life is also creating karma. Every single moment in our life is creating karma. And some of it's not important and some of it is important. And when it comes to the big stuff in our life, that's important, of course. And so maybe it's not necessarily about some lesson we have to learn from something painful happening especially if it if it's some kind of an event that's beyond our control or something was done to us or we we didn't have a say then what we can control is how we respond if we respond to bad things happening in our life with bitterness and resentment and and we're holding on to whatever the challenge is, then that steals our peace. That steals our ability to live a happy, healthy, and contented life. And so it's kind of like that saying that um, being angry is like taking the poison and hoping the other person dies. (laughs) Like, that's just not... We're the the only person we end up hurting is ourselves. And so, of course, I'm not just saying if you have some trauma in your life, just forget it and move on. Like, that's not possible. But working towards having an understanding that this is part of the experience and, and burning through this karma that ultimately is keeping us here in human form. And so, you know, sit with this. See if it resonates at all. And... I will say again, from my own experience, this was immensely helpful when when I was going through when I was first diagnosed with cancer and going through my treatment, and and it was very scary and it was very upsetting, of course, and and I really had to sit and think about my mortality and make peace with death, and having this understanding of karma and that everything is temporary for me was very helpful, and. Then, of course, going on later, you know, in, in, in more recent years, all of my struggles during my postpartum period and, and the most painful time in my life, actually, you know, all of this was in the background of my mind, and it took me a bit longer to find that space of peace. But I trusted. I knew it was there. I knew that I would eventually swing out and come back to this place where I could live more sattvically and I could live more in connection with spirit. I just had to wait. I had to ride it out. And for me, that was a very long period. And sometimes when we have things happen in our life, it takes time. We can't rush the process. But We can trust the process, and we can keep the faith that if we're in our practices of yoga and meditation and Ayurveda to the best of our ability on any given day, then it will work out. Now, let's talk about what happens when something good happens in your life, and you have something joyful, something exciting, something unexpected. Now, yoga philosophy teaches that this is okay. If, if you have, we call them like fruits, if you have a fruit of your practice, then you're allowed to enjoy it. You're allowed to um, be happy about it. So this is an example of, of a good thing happening to a good person. And we want to celebrate that. Now, if something good happens as a result of something good, I'm putting that in quotation, say somebody gets a lot of money. Uh, And they got it from illegal means or they cheated somebody or they robbed somebody. Now, it might seem in the moment like they've had good luck, but that's not necessarily true because they weren't acting in a way that is to the greater good or in a way that is in alignment with the teachings of yoga and the eight limbs of yoga and how we show up in the world and the things that we are taught we should do as yogis, acting with ahimsa, non-harming. So, you know, this explains why good things happen to bad people. In the moment, in the temporary existence of this lifetime, they might have what what might seem like good luck or some something positive happen, but from the spiritual standpoint, it's not true. It's nothing that's—and and in fact, they're going to have karma from that, which— who knows what the karma would look like, but but they're creating more karma when the goal on the path of yoga is to create less karma. So we also, when we're talking about karma, we want to talk about this idea called samskara. And samskara is like a karmic rut. And I always, I was taught this and I really like it. I'm also from the Western part of the US where the Oregon Trail runs through the whole state and the whole area. Um, so for me, I can visualize it, but we think of this idea of karmic ruts and how they're created, which is basically habitualized thoughts and actions, which then impacts our karma. So we think of it as like, you know, if there's in the 1800s, the wagons were going west in the US and, and each time the wagon wheels went over the road and the, the two tracks of the wheels, the, the rut Got deeper and deeper and deeper. And in some parts, you can still go see parts of the Oregon Trail in the US and Idaho, where I'm from, Oregon, which is close by. And some of these trails are super deep, like a foot deep. And it's the same idea with how karma works in our samskaras. And when we have these deep karmic ruts in our life, that are caused by the same behaviors, the same attitudes, the same thoughts that we always have, then it really strengthens how deep those samskaras run in our life, which means it's going to be more difficult for us to break those karmic bonds. So when we're looking at our life, we're just kind of evaluating, and and we want to look at what are some of our go-to patterns, our behaviors in our life. Like, what do we do every night when we get home from work? How do we respond to stress? What um, Do we have any relationship patterns, like with romantic partners? And when we start to identify some of these things in our life that have carried through many, many years, we can see, ah, okay, that's a samskara. That is a karmic rut where it's the same action. Remember, karma means action. It's the same action over and over and over, which means I'm going to get the same result over and over and over. And so we want to work to lessen those ruts, to break those karmic bonds. And we've all experienced this. Like you go through, many of us go through periods in our life when we're really motivated and we're really excited and we're taking care of ourselves really well. And I'll use the example of like going to the gym to work out. If you haven't been to the gym in a long while, it feels really heavy to get going, to get motivated. You're like, oh, I need to go to the gym. I need to go to the gym. And you don't go. And then finally, one day, you're like, "Okay, today's the day. I'm going to go to the gym. And you go, and you work out, and you feel amazing. You're like, oh, yeah, I love this. And then the next day, you're like, "Okay, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm still committed. I'm on the bandwagon. And you go to the gym, and you really enjoy it. And then the third day you go to the gym and you enjoy it. What's happening here is you're creating a new habit. And new habits then, good new habits, there's momentum behind it. And that momentum is going to what's carry is what's going to carry you through to create change in your life. We also could use the word here tapas. And tapas is part of the eight limb path part of the second limb of yoga, the niyamas, are personal observances. And tapas means heat, friction, discipline, or passion for the practice. And so this is a very, very important part to keeping ourselves focused, to keeping ourselves organized, and I guess most importantly, keeping ourselves accountable to our practice. And the idea with the tapas in our yoga practice is we practice yoga and pranayama and meditation on the days that it's really easy and we want to do it, but we also do it on the days where it's hard and we don't want to do it. And that's the accountability. That's the tapas. And it's through that heat, pushing through the difficulty. You know, our mind getting weak and being like, "Ah, you know what? Today, I think I'm just going to stay inside and you know watch Netflix and eat some Cheetos." We all have those thoughts. But pushing through and doing something that we know is going to be in a greater good for our health, for our body, for our mind, for our spirit, that's what's going to create some friction, some heat in the body, in the mind. And it's that heat that then burns through the impurities, that burns through the toxins. If we're talking about the physical body, if we're talking about the breath, if we're talking about the mind and and self-limiting, self-doubting thoughts that we have, Having that tapas and that discipline is what's going to keep us moving forward, and which is also going to help us burn through our negative behaviors, our patterns of living that are perhaps less optimal to supporting us on our path of spiritual evolution and spiritual inquiry. So starting to identify where do we have these behaviors in our life, our samskaras, and And the belief is that when we have these really deep samskaras, and guess what? They can also last through lifetimes. So if there's a pattern in your life and you're like, I don't know where this comes from, it possibly could be residual from a past life that's now just showing up and presenting in this lifetime. If it's something that you really, really need to work through in order to move forward. And... And that can feel really frustrating. we like, oh my gosh, I just wish I was different. Well, that's like both <laughs> the good news, bad news situation. The good news is it can be different. The bad news is you have to do a lot of work to make it change. And then we're able to break through these karmic bonds. And in this lifetime, we can be more peaceful, more joyful. And in future lifetimes, we then have less karma to deal with, less karma to try and burn through. So discipline is a really important part of this practice and also understanding our karma. And anytime we have a discussion about yoga philosophy, sometimes it seems like we're talking in circles and we're going around the topic over and over, because then You know, if you're like, okay, I need to have this tapas. I need to have the heat and intensity to keep myself motivated and accountable in order to make changes, in order to burn through karma, in order to be more happy. (laughs) And then you balance that with something I said earlier in the episode, which is like part of of understanding karma is also getting to the space of self-acceptance and self-love and self-forgiveness. And when we act with compassion, sometimes we have to really Be gentle, especially if we're in a difficult time in life and we're experiencing something heavy. Having that compassion to actually take the step back, be like, okay, what I need here in this moment is rest. What I need is space to process. What I need is to be slow and maybe not be pushing through and going to the gym every day and and having a really stringent regime each day. But then that balances out because it's like, all right, but but Jessica, what you just said, we need to have tapas, we need to have discipline. And sometimes it is that hard love that we give to ourselves where we have to do a little check-in. Okay, in this moment, is the behavior I'm trying to do, is it truly compassionate? Like I need to rest, I need to just be still, or is the thing that's gonna be most compassionate actually to get myself moving, to go to leave the house, to go to a yoga class, to go sit and meditate for 20 minutes or whatever. And, and only you can answer that. And some days, I mean, I catch myself doing this all the time. Some days, I'm like, yes, I check in with myself. I'm like, OK, truly, I can answer the question. The most compassionate thing I can do for myself in this moment is x, y, z. Rest, go to yoga. Rest, do something else. And other days I do the check-in and I'm like, "Mm, okay, Jessica, I think you're sliding a little bit. I think you're trying to justify why you just want to stay at home and watch the newest episode of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake, (laughs) which I do love, by the way. Um, And so that can be the more that we strengthen our intuition, the more that we strengthen our... Relationship with ourselves, the more we can hold ourselves accountable. And this is difficult. This takes lifetimes to learn, but we still start today. There's still something we can do today. And I think that's what's so cool about understanding karma. And we don't know where it came from. We don't know where it's gonna end up. I mean, ultimately we do, but when we're talking about is there karma in this life, is there karma in next life? Is this karma from a previous life? We don't know. But We do understand that we can control our reaction to the events in our life, both positive and negative. If we have good fortune and something good happens, we're not going to start bragging and, you know, really like rubbing it in people's face, like, Ha, did you see what happened to me? This is so awesome. We very graciously accept the gifts that we have in our life, we graciously accept. The fruits from our practice, from putting one foot in front of the other, from trying to live this yogic sattvic lifestyle, to trying to strengthen our bond with the source energy. And and again, at the end of the day, all of this, all of this is so that hopefully today, tomorrow, next week, in this lifetime, we have just a little bit more peace in our life, in our heart, in our mind, in our relationships. And so that's what keeps me going. It's again not because I'm like, "Oh, so worried about reaching enlightenment and and shedding all of my karmic bonds and no. I'm I want to have a peaceful life. And that's what yoga and meditation and ayurveda can give us. That's the gift, that's the promise. If we do the work, if we're willing to integrate our shadow self with our light self, if we're willing to be honest, if we're willing to be authentic, if we're willing to show up, if we're willing to be vulnerable. And so karma, we might not fully understand it, but it certainly can give us more perspective on the things that happen in our life and the idea that they're not just random. There is some deeper purpose to how we experience things in this lifetime. So... That's where I'm going to end today's conversation about karma. I hope it made a little bit of sense. And if nothing else, maybe gave you something to think about, maybe a slightly different perspective or some new information maybe. I think this is beautiful. I think karma's so cool. I love it. And maybe the best part about karma, I think, is it kind of gives us this sense of like, oh, I don't have to have it all figured out because we can't figure it all out in one lifetime. We need more time to really experience and process being human. So for me, I find that very comforting. Like, oh, okay, I'm in I'm in for a bit of a ride on this life, and then there's going to be a whole new set of facts and experiences in the next life, and, and I don't have to worry about that just yet. So that's it. That is all. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, I appreciate it. Please feel free to share this podcast, leave a review, rate it, subscribe, all the good things. Uh, This is a passion project. I don't get paid for this, I don't get any money for this. I spend money on it. And um, I do it because it really feels meaningful to me and being able to speak from the heart about these topics that I care about. So,